0: Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us to Joshua chapter 5, verses 13, through chapter 6, verse 21. Three elements contained in the familiar story of the Battle of Jericho provide us with a great pattern to receive what God has provided. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, visit rfamarillo.org. We're continuing this journey with Joshua into the promised land. Last week, we found, uh, we left Joshua and the Israelites in Gilgal. They had crossed the Jordan. They were camped out in Gilgal. Now we're going to see them actually take Jericho. In fact, the message this morning is entitled, The Wall Must Fall. And it's the story of Jericho. Now, this is a very familiar story that I'm sure you've heard since you were a little child. In fact, you may know this little song. If you know this little song, I want you to sing it with me, okay? With all the other, all the stuff that goes with it. Okay, you ready? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, 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 whoa! Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, doobie, down, doobie, down, doobie. You don't know that part? Oh, gosh. Thanks for listening. The point of that is just to say this, this story is popular even from little our childhood. We've heard this story dozens and dozens of times. Probably every one of you could come up here and share this story verbatim just like I could. So you may be wondering with a story that familiar that I've heard that many times, can you possibly hear anything new? Can I learn anything new? Can God say anything to me in this story that I've heard a million times? I hope so. I hope it's like a, some of those favorite songs that we have. We've heard them dozens of times, we know the lyrics, we know the melody, we sing them all the time, but boy, when they come on, there's still something, when that song starts, there's still something that moves us and speaks to us. And man, it's just, it's an experience, even though we know it. That's what I hope this morning's like. Even though you've heard this story, I pray that the Spirit would still prick you and speak to you and minister to you, do something in you even in the midst of a very familiar story that God has some kind of nugget that he can give for you. So let's take a look at the story of Jericho. We're actually gonna pick it up in chapter five, verse 13. The story actually begins here. Verse 13 says, now, when Joshua was near Jericho. Now to remember, they're in Gilgal, camped out. That's about 10 miles from Jericho. So probably what is happening now is Joshua has left the camp. He's gone closer to Jericho, and he's doing some recon of his own. He's investigating the lay of the land. He's looking at the wall. He's looking at the city. He's strategizing. He's thinking about, okay, how in the world are we going to take this city and collapse this wall? How are we going to take Jericho? So that's what's happening here. While he's doing that, it says that he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you our enemies? Now, to me, this is a weird encounter because I don't know anybody that's going to go up to somebody with a drawn sword and then ask, are you a friend or a foe? I would want to know that before I approached the guy, but he doesn't. So it's weird, but the reply is even more odd to me. In verse 14, he says, neither. <laughs> I'm not for you and I'm not your enemy either. Now, we don't have time to talk about that this morning. But he continues, and he identifies himself. He says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So he identifies himself. Some people say that this is what's called a theophany, which is simply God manifesting himself in a very visible or audible form. I would even say it's probably a Christophany, where it's the pre-incarnate Christ, if you will, um, manifesting himself, in this conversation. Why, because he's the commander of the army of the Lord. Now the army of the Lord is that, that, that host of angelic beings who stand at the ready to defend God's people. So he's the commander of that army. So I think he is probably a pre-incarnate Christ. So look what Joshua does in verse 14. He says, Joshua just fell face down to the ground in reverence. The most appropriate response if you have that encounter. But he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied. Now if this was just an angel, he would have told Joshua to stand, but he doesn't. So we see that this is an encounter with God that he's having. He says, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua does so. Does that sound familiar to another time you hear the same thing? When Moses in the burning bush says, take off your sandals, you're standing on the holy ground, that was a commissioning time for Moses, an encounter with God before he's gonna embark on his task. So now we're seeing the same thing where Joshua now is having this encounter with God before he embarks on this great encounter. And in my opinion, he needs this encounter desperately because he's looking at Jericho and he's trying to decide, how am I possibly gonna defeat this city? Because chapter six, verse one, says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. In other words, the Jerichoans, they were ready for battle. They had shut up the city. They were armed. They were ready. They were prepared. Nobody was leaving. They had fortified their ranks, and they were ready for battle. On top of that, they had this huge wall and these fortified gates that they have to try to get into. On top of that, He's gonna lead a group of people that have been in the desert for 40 years. They don't have the military training. The former uh, armed guards have died in the, in the desert. Now you have all the young guys. They've not been in battle. They're still green. They don't really know how to fight. And so he's going into this battle with this kind of army. So you have to know that there's some, some anxiety and some concern on his part. God knows that. So he comes and he has this encounter with Joshua. Joshua. And this encounter was to remind Joshua, I've already gone before you. (laughs) I've got this under control. It's taken care of. Look in verse two. He says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. It's a time to remind Joshua, I've got this. I've gone before you, the battle is already won even before the fighting starts. The victory is ensured and you haven't even had to do anything yet. It's a great principle for us in this part of the story and that's this. We must prioritize encounters with God. We need to prioritize encounters with God. Before you make any decision in your life, you need to have an encounter with God. Before you embark on this spiritual battle, in the midst of a spiritual battle that you know is about to take place, you need to have these encounters with God this time where you're meeting one-on-one personally with him because it's in those times that we gain the trust that we gain the reminder that God's already gone before us. Even in the midst of our struggles, our spiritual battles, what we're gonna face today, what we're gonna face tomorrow, what we're gonna face next week, God's gone before that. And it's in these encounters that God has the opportunity to minister to our spirit, minister to our heart and say, hey, don't worry, I've got this. So whatever issue you may be facing today, whatever decision, you need to make today. Whatever victory you may need in your life today, go to God first. Have an encounter, meet with him, and let him do what only his spirit can do in your heart and to minister to you. After this, though, we see where God now begins to give us some very specific instructions to the Israelites. Look in verse 3. God says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. And then shout. So here's the scene. For six days, they're marching around the city. You have an armed guard leading the way. You have priests blowing trumpets, following them. Then you have the Ark of the Lord, those carrying the Ark, next. Then you have a rear guard behind them for protection. Then you have the people, and this mass of people come, and for six days they blow the trumpets and they march around the city. Imagine if you're the Jerichoans. Try to put yourself in the city of Jericho while this is taking place. Can you imagine... The fear that's taking place in Jerichoans. We learned back in chapter 2 with Rahab that she told them that all the people, their hearts are already melting with fear because of what God's doing. Now you see this mass of people, trumpets blowing, and here they come. Can you imagine? They're ready. Remember, Jericho's ready. They're armed, they're shut up, they're ready. So they're anticipating the army to come. They're ready to fight. So here comes this huge mass of people to march. Don't you know they're thinking, okay, here we go. It's battle time, it's fight time. It's on, here we go. So they're ready, they got stuff, they're ready to go. And all of a sudden they just start marching around the city. After a time they leave. It's like, maybe there's relief and then there may be What's going on? Maybe they relax and maybe they say, what are they doing? They worry a little bit, the next day, second day, here they come, okay, now, here, here we go, now we're ready to fight. Same thing happens, they walk around, they leave. Can you imagine for six days what's going on in the minds and the hearts of these Jerichoans? It's psychological warfare at its best. <laughs> They're just freaking out day after day after day after day. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? They keep getting ready. Keep getting ready. And it's just this ongoing thing. I don't know if anybody watches NCIS. I like NCIS. But Gibbs is kind of the star of that show. And he's he's an intimidator. He's a silent, strong kind of guy. But when he'd get a a, a perp in his his little room, part of what he likes to do is just stare at them. He just sits across the table and just starts staring at them doesn't smile, doesn't blink, doesn't move, doesn't talk, just stares at them. Of course, the perp at the beginning is, you know, a little tough and real cool and what's going on. They keep staring and after a while, you can see the guys just start getting fidgety and nervous and they start talking and black. And it's, it's just, it's psychological warfare. It's intimidation. That's what's taking place right here. Day after day, intimidation Intimidation, psychological warfare. And I'm telling you, the Jerichoans are freaking out. Here's what's happening they are trembling in fear at what God is about to do because they know they are totally helpless to win this battle. Here's the second principle for us we have an enemy as well. It's not the Jerichoans, our enemy is Satan and his demonic army. But we need to hear this this morning, that our enemy trembles in the presence of Jesus Christ. Our enemy trembles at the power of Jesus Christ. Our enemy trembles at the name of Jesus Christ because he knows he's totally and completely helpless in the battle. Now, he comes to us in spiritual warfare, and he looks all tough, and compared to us, he is tough. But compared to Christ, in the name of Christ, in the power of Christ, he knows he is completely helpless. We see this in the Gospels, when Jesus would encounter people with demon possession, and he would encounter and speak to those demons. They had no chance against them. They fled. They begged for their lives. And here's the principle we see here. The Jerichoans, the enemy of the Israelites, trembled in fear, and I'm telling you, Satan's army, our enemy, knows he's helpless against Christ. He's already defeated. Let's look at the story some more. Verse 15, the story continues. It gets better. On the seventh day, They got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in, and they took the city they took the city. If you read the rest of that chapter, you see when they took the city, they destroyed everything. There were no survivors except for Rahab and her family under the protection of the Scarlet cord. They demolished everything. Verse 20 is the key phrase in this chapter. It says, the wall collapsed. Now, there are some historians, some scholars, even some some theologians that try to naturalize the collapse of the wall, to excuse, to explain the fall of the wall, that it was not a God thing. It was just something that was a great coincidence and happenstance for the Israelites. Some say it was an earthquake. There just happened to be an earthquake right at the right time, and they fell the wall, and so they're able to go in. Some say... The wall was so dilapidated, it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was dilapidated, had weaknesses, had cracks. So with all those people marching, all the trumpets blowing, everybody shouting, stomping, all the vibration just made the wall crack and fall over. It's like the last straw. That takes way more faith for me than the other. But here's the truth. The truth is God supernaturally, miraculously collapsed that wall. Because here's part of the battle when Joshua was up, Jericho, before he has the encounter, he's looking at that wall, and in his just a natural mind, just as a, as a warrior, he's trying to say, how in the world are we going to collapse that wall? He can't. That's the point. But God can. God did. And God supernaturally made that wall collapse. And here's the third principle for us. God still does the Miraculous. When wasn't confined to Old Testament times. God still does the miraculous. In fact, there are some things you're going to encounter in your life that the only way you're going to get through it is if God does a supernatural, miraculous thing in your life. Some of you have gone through experiences and you're on the other side of that and you've gone through that and you know the only way you made it through was because God did a miraculous work in your life. There are some situations that you're gonna face. The only way you're gonna get through it is for God to come through and do the miraculous. There may be some strongholds in your life that you're never gonna get victory over unless God does something supernatural in your life. There may be some passions and some pursuits that God wants to instill in you to use in the kingdom. They're never going to get placed in there unless God just does a supernatural work in your life. So maybe, here's a question for you. Maybe today you need God to do something miraculous in your life, in your situation, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, maybe with some wayward children, maybe in your finances, maybe in your health, maybe in your spirit, maybe in your heart, something you're saying here, God needs to collapse the wall in my life. He can do that. He does do that. He will do that if you call on him to do that. I want to illustrate this concept a little bit for you. Okay? Now, I want to preface it with, this is low-budget theater. (laughs) In fact, this is extremely low-budget theater. In fact, we could say this is no-budget theater, maybe. But I want to illustrate what I've been talking about a little bit. I just realized I didn't bring my marker, so you'll have to use your head without writing. But this is the wall. This is the wall of Jericho. In this story, it seems like what we talk about is the wall. We think the whole story is about the wall. When in reality, it's not. There's actually three elements to the story that we're talking about. One element is the wall. But the goal of the Israelites was not to collapse the wall. That wasn't their goal. Their goal was to get over here. The second element in the story, their goal was to take Jericho. Their goal was to be in that place that God had promised them, that God had provided for them, that God had gone before and said, this is yours. This is what they were wanting. They were wanting Jericho. The problem was there was a barrier, there was a wall that kept them from their Jericho. So the third element in the story is what I'll call the process. And the process is that which had to be done in order to collapse the wall so that they could experience and take Jericho, what God had promised them. Okay? You with me? So for the Israelites, the process was to march around the city six days and then seventh day, seventh day. That was their process. But the important aspect of that is that they did exactly what God said do. They obeyed God. God said, if you want to Take Jericho, this is what you have to do. For them, it was to march around the city. So they obeyed God, they did what God said do. When they did that, God miraculously collapsed the wall so that they could take Jericho and partake of that which God had promised them and offered them and provided for them. Okay, you got that? Now that has great application for us this morning in a variety of avenues. I don't have time to go through all of these. I wanna share maybe three examples of what I'm talking about. Maybe one of these examples will speak to you specifically. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll trigger something else in your mind. But here it is. Let's say for some people, Jericho is salvation. What they want to experience is eternal life an eternal relationship with God, with the creator. They want to have life in God. That's their Jericho. But there is a wall. There's a barrier keeping them from that. And for them, their barrier is sin. So how are they going to collapse the wall of sin so that they can experience salvation? They're going to have to do what God says do about salvation. That's to get rid of sin. What does God say? Well, God says first in Romans 3.23, all is sin and falling short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.22 says we're all prisoners of sin. First John 1.8 says if we are without sin, then we deceive ourselves. But then verse 9 goes on to say, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. The most Quoted verse John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would, what? Believe in him would have everlasting life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What God tells us, the process, if we wanna experience salvation, what God is providing and offering, the only way we're going to collapse the wall of sin is to confess that we are a sinner realize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, we invite him into our life and ask him to forgive us of our sin, ask him to be the Lord of our life. That's the process. When we do that, when we pray that prayer and ask Christ to come into our life, what God does is supernaturally and miraculously collapse that wall of sin. He forgives that sin, throws it as far as the east is from the west, and now we can enjoy salvation that God has called us to and offered and provided. So maybe that applies to you this morning. Here's another example. Let's say for some, their Jericho is victory. It's freedom. It's power over our sin. It's freedom, it's power over those temptations. It's freedom from, from that addiction. It's freedom from that struggle, that thing that just keeps coming and coming and coming, and I feel like I just can't get over. I want to experience victory and freedom and power. What's the wall? Scripture says the wall here is what's called strongholds. It's a stronghold. Now really, a stronghold in its basic form is simply a way of thinking. I've been thinking a certain way. It's developed this stronghold in my life. So if I am not experienced this freedom and this victory, what do I need to do to experience it? Well, I've got to do what God says in the area of strongholds. And there's two things that have to take place to break a stronghold. And one is to claim the power of Christ. And second is to change our way of thinking. Because here's what's happening. If we're not experiencing this, we're blocked by this stronghold. Really what that stronghold is saying is, whatever this sin is, I don't have power over it. Whatever this temptation is, I just can't get over it. I'm not strong enough. It just keeps coming. Sin is too great. This addiction's too heavy. This struggle's too hard. There's no way. I'm a sinner. I just can't get over it. And so it just keeps coming and coming. And finally, I come to a way of thinking to say, I guess as a follower of Christ, I just have to live this way with this sin in my life because I don't have the power to overcome it. That's a way of thinking. And what God says is, no, that's not what I say. That's not what the Word of God says at all. So I have to change my way of thinking. What does God say in the context of strongholds? 1 Corinthians 10 13, first he says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will give you the power to bear it by enabling you to stand under it. In other words, what that is saying is there's no temptation that is stronger than God who can give you the ability to say no and to resist that temptation. Here's a great passage in 2 Corinthians 10.4. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. So, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's how you get through the stronghold so that you can enjoy this abundant life that God has offered and promised. We change our way of thinking. We take captive every thought and we claim the power of God. This passage in 2 Corinthians has a great... Word picture here. It says, We have been given the divine power to demolish strongholds. The word divine in the Greek is theos, it just means God. We've got God's power to demolish. Demolish means to annihilate, to completely destroy, to to, to rip away. Strongholds in this context means a prison that which has held us captive, that which has kept us from experiencing the freedom that we should have in Christ. So what the word is saying is that we've been given God's power within us to completely annihilate whatever prison the enemy has tried to captivate us or make us captive. We don't have to think this way. We don't have to live in this sin. We don't have to have this thing just continually continually dominate us and dominate us and defeat us and defeat us. We can live in victory and joy and love and peace and power and abundance that Christ offers us. He'll collapse the wall. Here's another example. Maybe for some, your Jericho is an effective, fruitful ministry. That you're being used by God. Maybe you're a follower of Christ, but you've never really plugged into any ministry. Or maybe you were really active at some point, but for whatever reason, you just kind of slipped back and, and you're not experiencing that fruitful ministry that God wants you to have a part of your life. Well, the wall could be varied on that. Maybe it's prejudice. There's certain people you don't really connect with, so you don't want to minister to them. Maybe it's laziness or comfort. You just enjoy comfort, and so you don't want to risk that comfort. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's a lack of direction. You don't really know what ministry I should go toward. The point here is that If that's your heart and spirit, you go before the Lord, you have this encounter just like Joshua does and you say, Lord, take away the apathy, take away the prejudice, take away the desire for comfort and Lord, birth in me a heart and a desire to serve you and to be fruitful in how you've gifted me to serve. Here's the point of all the story here. The story is simply that the wall needs to fall. Just gotta collapse You can't do it. Whatever your greatest need is this morning, whatever your Jericho is, whatever your barrier to your Jericho is, it's a God thing. But God still does great things. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks, have a great week.